0: From VT Digger, I'm Mike Dougherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, the COVID-19 state of emergency has ended. Now that Vermont has reached an 80% vaccination rate and lifted all pandemic restrictions, Governor Phil Scott let the emergency declaration expire on Tuesday night. And while closing this chapter of the pandemic feels like something to celebrate, advocates are nervous that the boost in social services over the past 15 months will be coming to an end, too. The state of emergency gave the Scott administration the authority to maintain a vast social safety net during the pandemic. Landlords were barred from evicting renters, homeless Vermonters were housed free of charge in motels around the state, and a series of meal distribution programs ensured families access to food. On Tuesday, Scott said that authority was no longer needed.
1: This state of emergency has been unique, both in its length and nature, because the challenges we faced with uh, with COVID isn't something we've ever seen in our lifetimes. However, in our system of government, extending a state of emergency longer than it's needed isn't appropriate. And authority must be restored to the normal process with checks and balances. So...
0: Instead, Scott signed an executive order on Tuesday that ensures federal funding for many of these programs can continue.
1: We know many Vermonters relied on these services throughout the pandemic, and Vermont has been seen as a model for our efforts to safely house those experiencing homelessness. We believe this has had a significant impact, and our goal is to help make sure there's a smooth transition back to pre-pandemic services. But cuts are
0: still ahead for these programs, and federal funding is likely to remain for just a few more months. Our reporter Xander Landon has been looking into what happens now
2: the state of emergency that we've now had in place for 15 months since March of 2020 has basically been the vehicle or the tool that the governor has used to either ratchet up or wind down the pandemic restrictions that we've all been living with for the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. The state of emergency is really what allowed the governor to unilaterally shut down the economy require that people wear masks in public, limit where people can travel and under what circumstances they can travel. Obviously, we saw that with quarantining requirements if you've traveled out of state, which were in place for a long time. All of these things in normal times, a governor would not be able to order unilaterally. So this emergency declaration gives executives, governors, extraordinary power in times of great need. And now that we're winding down, you know, 80% of people are almost vaccinated and the case rates are very low. The governor is seeing that it's time to give up the authority that he's been able to wield for the last year and a half.
0: What kind of things does that then set in motion? What changes can we expect to kind of follow in the weeks after the state of emergency
2: is gone? So the, the big thing that the governor and the administration have to do is sort of think about what aspects of the COVID-19, the state's COVID-19 emergency response have to continue. And how does the state ensure that they can continue even though you don't have this emergency declaration in place? What has come up in the recent days is a concern about how is the state gonna be able to maintain heightened aid programs that it's been carrying out during the pandemic Without an emergency declaration, because that emergency declaration has allowed Vermont to receive a lot of federal funding. That has allowed the state to distribute more food to those in need and has allowed the state to receive reimbursement from the feds for housing programs for the homeless population, which has almost entirely been housed by the state since March of 2020 in motels, hotels, shelters. That's cost a lot of money. So there's concern that if you drop this emergency, state of emergency, we're going to lose access to resources that we need to duly respond to continuing needs.
0: How does the administration plan to handle that?
2: So this is not a surprise to the administration, and they're also concerned about this. And this is sort of a technical question that they have to answer. How can we ensure that we're still getting support from the federal government for those programs, even if the state of emergency is lifted? And their solution at this point is an executive order. And the governor can issue executive orders at any time to carry out initiatives. And what this executive order will be is an executive order that basically continues the state's emergency housing and food distribution programs for the purpose of being able to receive funding from FEMA. Because FEMA has told the Scott administration You can continue to receive this federal funding so long as there's a governor's order that sort of lays down the necessity for these programs to continue. I talked to the governor's legal counsel, Jay Pershing Johnson, the other day, and I was asking her about basically, you know, what's the administration going to do if we get rid of the state of emergency and there's all of a sudden a resurgence in cases? What happens? What can the governor do? She did say, you know, the governor can always just issue another emergency declaration and put us back in a situation where the governor can do what he's done before. However, she was pretty confident that even if there is a resurgence in cases, the government's response is not going to look like what it was in March of 2020 or even a few months ago hmm. because people are vaccinated, which gives them immunity. And because the state and the public know how this virus works and they know how to respond. It This isn't a new factor anymore. So she said, the, the governor's lawyer said that they'd expect that any public health response would be much more minimal and more targeted than what we saw before, which is basically broad strokes, blanket restrictions. Gotcha.
0: I wonder, is it fair or does it make sense to look at the end of the state of emergency as kind of symbolic of the end of this kind of period where the state has really made COVID-19 the focus of its real operation. Is that reading too much into it? You know, what does this really represent?
2: I don't think that is reading too much into it. I think that you're correct, that this is very momentous. It shows that the government, the state government, has a great deal of confidence that cases are not going to spike again, at least for now, that things, business and daily life, can go on as usual to some extent. Without any restriction, the fact that the government is doing that is very momentous. And I think it's also evidenced in the fact that, you know, our lives, at least the press, our lives were dominated by the governor's bi-weekly press conferences where his administration officials would get up and talk about the latest modeling of the pandemic and the latest case information, et cetera. The governor is now winding those down and we're going to be hearing a lot less about covid that, that, to me, is also a big sign that things are changing. and Hopefully they'll stay that way.
0: When we come back, why some advocates are still concerned about returning to business as usual. Just a quick message from our underwriters. Community Health is Vermont's largest federally qualified health center. Affordable, accessible, quality primary health care at Community Health includes dental, pediatric, behavioral health, and pharmacy services. With practices in Rutland, Pollitt, Shoreham, Brandon, and Castleton, new patients are always welcome. And centers are open seven days a week at Express Care in Rutland and Castleton. Community Health accepts Medicaid and offers sliding-scale fees, making health care accessible to everyone. Community Health. Your health is our mission. We've been aware for a few weeks now that the end of the state of emergency was on its way. So last week, a group of about 130 organizations sent a letter to the Scott administration, urging them to find permanent solutions to some of the needs that the pandemic exposed.
3: Now we're turning to <laughs> the consequences of having people have relied on these programs for over a year, and now they're coming to an end. And what are we going to do about that as a state.
0: Honor Horton leads one of the organizations behind that letter, Hunger-Free Vermont. She said it's going to be critical for the state to find ways to slowly ramp down the pandemic hunger and housing relief programs.
3: You know, that's really important because we need some time to figure out as a state how we're going to continue to serve the people who are really continuing to need these programs. And the the hotel housing program, Uh, for people who don't have any other place to live, that's another critical, critical program that's quite expensive, but has made a profound, profound, profound difference, a life and death difference, literally, during this last year plus for people in our state. And that's another program that is FEMA-funded and will end. Um, It is ending in its current form, July 1st. And while some categories of particularly vulnerable people will be able to um, continue to be housed in hotels, there is a significant number of individuals who are going to not be able to stay in the hotels any longer. And the challenge there is that there simply do not exist sufficient units of housing in the state to house those folks in another way right now. There's really no no stable place with four walls and a roof for some of these folks to go. And what's also going to end for them is um, meals that were being paid for also through this uh, FEMA funding and um, delivered to the hotels by a range of local charitable and social service organizations. So we've got a housing shelter crisis and a a hunger crisis um, looming.
0: Yeah. I thought it was really interesting the way you and the other authors of this letter phrase this by saying that most people in the state are still living in a state of emergency, which I thought was a really interesting distinction there that, you know, we, we were talking about this in the very kind of technical sort of legalistic sense, but you're, you're talking about something much different and more abstract there.
3: I mean, there's a couple of of, of points here, right? So one is that We have had people living in a state of emergency in Vermont before the pandemic and during the pandemic and still now, because we've had a really unacceptably high number of people who really did not have access to some of the absolutely critical basic needs that people have to have, human beings have to have to survive, shelter and food. What we saw during the pandemic that's really extraordinary and that I really hope that every single one of us holds on to is that we actually were able to house everyone who needed housing and get food to pretty much everyone who needed food. And that means that it's possible for us to do that as a society, as a state. And what we're saying in part with this letter is that it's not acceptable to go back to what was accepted as normal pre pandemic, where we had a significant number of people in our state who didn't have food and didn't have shelter on any given day. We want to transform that situation and never go back.
0: Right. And, you know, some of what you've said about certain specific programs that. Some kind of extension or, or finding ways to continue to fund these and ramp them down slowly, and that sort of thing you know that that would be uh, an improvement from just ending them abruptly, but it seems like the the point that you 're getting at here is something even broader that you know regardless of some of these technical designations that you 're really looking for more long term more permanent solutions to some of these problems and I wonder. What do those look like? You know, how do we take what we learned during the pandemic and and actually apply it to what we see going forward?
3: You know, I think that some answers are easier than others. If you look at housing, I think that our state is trying to move in in the right direction, right? The Scott administration and legislators have appropriated a a significant amount of money. There will be new housing units built um, and new affordable housing units built in our state. Um, and we, we need more of that. And we will need to commit more funding and get additionally creative about how we're going to house everyone who needs to be housed. But that's possible to do. For populations, and especially this is easy to think about when it comes to children um, and young people in our state who spend a considerable amount of their time in child care and in school, how we end hunger for those populations is easy to see. The solution is actually easy to understand. uh, And in school, it's easy to implement. In childcare, it's a little more challenging, but that is to provide universal meals that go along with the universal education that we all understand is really important for our children to receive. That's uh, kind of um, the lower hanging fruit, I think, when it comes to how we make sure that everyone has enough food to eat. And then I think there's there's a lot of creativity available to us as Vermonters that we need to apply toward how we're going to reach everyone in our state who isn't making enough money to be able to make their own choices about feeding and housing themselves. I mean, fundamentally, actually, the answer to all of this is quite simple, and that is that we need to pay people livable wages that cover the costs of their basic needs, Um, that Vermonters work hard and we all deserve uh, to be able to earn what we need to um, take care of our basic needs for ourselves and our families. So ultimately, this is an economic problem and it's possible for us to solve it, but we we just all collectively need the will to do that.
0: Right. And I mean, it seems like given how much we understand of the role of federal aid funding over the past year, I mean, it really does seem like That funding is really the key issue here, right? Like all the things you've listed off these different programs and things like universal school meals, uh, the way we saw that move through the legislature this year, that the price tag really became sort of the the sticking point. And I wonder, looking to a day when we don't have these influxes of, of federal cash coming in, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the price tag? How do we deal with the sticker shock?
3: Right. Well, first of all, there's advocacy to do at the federal level. So I think that it's really possible for us to continue to work on having the programs at the federal level redesigned in ways that make it easier for Vermont to use those programs and and maximize their benefit for Vermonters. But, you know, I think the sticker shock question is really an interesting one, and it's a matter of perspective. So from our perspective at Hunger Free Vermont, and if you really stop and think about how much money we spend on public education, on education in our state uh, for the next generation. You know, that's really important. And it's worth a lot to all of us in Vermont to have an educated workforce and to have all of our young people have what they need to grow and thrive and develop and come up with the next generation of creative solutions for our state. And the overall price tag for that is quite significant. And the cost of providing Uh, nutritious, healthy, local, farm-fresh school breakfast and lunch for every student in our state is actually a tiny, tiny, tiny drop in the bucket of that. I think that if there was an educational reform that had been proven over and over and over again to improve student math and reading test scores, reduce obesity, reduce number of pediatric days in the hospital, improve Focus, reduce bullying, reduce absenteeism and tardiness at school, and improve overall student health and reduce dramatically visits to the school nurse. Right? Doesn't that sound like, I mean, for $24 million a year for the entire state of Vermont, that is actually incredibly cheap. That's amazingly cheap. And that's all of those benefits have been proven when schools provide universal meals. So, To my mind, um, I think that actually the real sticker shock for Vermonters, the real um, steep price tag is in not doing these interventions that we know make a dramatic difference and are going to really actually make our population much healthier and um, better educated into the future.
0: One thing that struck me reading uh, what was in this letter was, you know, how much it reminded me of a lot of the things that were really at the forefront for people a year and a half ago, you know, last March and April, when things like hunger, things like housing were really some of the things that were were at the forefront in what we were, images that we were seeing and and things that we were hearing about the pandemic response. And it, it seems that those things sort of faded from view as the pandemic wore on and from what you've described and what's in this letter that happened while the need didn't really change all that much and i wonder how do you explain that discrepancy
3: i'm not sure i can com- i totally agree with you that they that these issues faded from view i think that many organizations and individuals in vermont did continue to pay attention to these issues. And, and that, that was really important that we did to the extent that we continue to pay attention. But I do think that now the impulse is to celebrate our ability to come out and be in public together and talk to each other. <laughs> and there is a real danger. And part of the reason why we published this letter um, is that there's a real danger that we think that the crises exposed by the pandemic have somehow been handled, but they were crises before the pandemic. Um, The long lines of cars um, that we saw early on in the pandemic, well, those were people who were hungry before the pandemic hit and needed those resources before the pandemic and suddenly were able to access them, right? And the fact that those lines of cars blocking streets um, have disappeared does not mean that people are no longer coming to pick up boxes of food. People are still doing that. It's just that our amazing, the Vermont Food Bank and all of their partners who have been running those food box programs all this time, you know, are logistical wizards and found all kinds of ways to make that process quicker and easier and more dignified for people and they've been running that program this whole time and the fact that the cars aren't backed up is a testament to their never-ending hard work on behalf of everyone in our in our state during this really challenging time but the food boxes are still getting packed and they're still being picked up and many other programs are also um, still being used every day here in our state and it's really important for everyone to understand and remember that.
0: On Tuesday, Scott administration officials announced details of the executive order to keep some assistance programs funded. Expanded Three Squares Vermont Benefits will continue. And about two-thirds of the people using the state's motel housing program will be eligible for an 84-day extension. Certain populations, like families and people with disabilities, can qualify to stay indefinitely. Scott said there will be an end date for federal funding for these programs. But that date is not yet clear. You can read more about the end of the state of emergency from Xander and the rest of our team at vtdigger.org and find all of our COVID-19 coverage in one place at vtdigger.org slash coronavirus. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger Newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We used music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. See you then.